Hello, everyone, and welcome to Celebrating Cinema. It's me, Kiriko. You're listening to a new series of ours, which is called Future Frames. This is a series where we celebrate emerging Dutch filmmakers whose frames we are excited to see more of and claim the screen. As hosts, we've each picked someone we would like to celebrate and speak with. In this edition, you'll hear from five filmmakers and their personal relationship to cinema. This will be recorded in English with the intention of an international audience, wherever you are, who can access the talents here in the Netherlands. For my pick, I have chosen Razan Hassan. Welcome. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Good. Such an honor. I'm really happy you chose me. With a lot of pleasure, I have chosen you. It's uh, it's an honor to have you here. It has been quite an exciting period for you, I guess. Or at least I recently um, saw your Instagram. You winning a, a quite noticeable award here in the Netherlands, which is the Shortcuts Awards for Best Documentary. And I saw your this documentary. It's called Between Glass and Walls, which is, I think, a third-year Film Academy school assignment which has then just took off and it's going in festivals all around the world and um, everyone's been talking about it. Yeah, it's crazy. We didn't expect that when we were making the film, actually. Like, it was just a um, third-year film, a practice, you know. And um, luckily, uh, Ahmed Al-Hajj uh, saw it, who's uh, a distributor in France. He owns this distribution company called Wind Cinema. And he saw the film and he was like, I want to distribute it. I want to send it to festivals. I want to take care of it going out, you know. And um, we had such interesting conversations about the film, the content of the film, what he sees in it, what how he sees it in order to also feel safe, you know, to who am I giving my baby to, you know. And uh, he did a great job. He sent it to a lot of festivals. We received so far four awards. The Shortcuts was the fourth one. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really unexpected. So the film is called In Between Glass and Walls. In Between Glass and Walls. Um, could you talk a little bit about what this film is about? So the film is about, in the essence of it, is about the other and how you can... Um, see yourself in the other, recognize the other, recognize yourself in the other and uh, slowly uh, having that otherness vanish and disappear. And in our case, uh, the other was the son of the main character. Uh, when she was pregnant, Anna didn't know that Felix had Down syndrome. And then um, in the middle of her last month of pregnancy, Uh, doctors asked her to uh, to come for a checkup and they were like, oh, we need to deliver right now, immediately. So in the middle of this kind of surprising traumatic experience that uh, she went through, uh, that she had to go on a C-section while she was planning on having like a home delivery and then and it's like a, a whole intensity of like, no, we're going to deliver now, otherwise the, the baby's not safe. So... She saw all this like uh, blood and all this like suddenly like she wasn't prepared to deliver her baby, and then in in two hours the doctors came to tell her that oh actually your child has Down syndrome. So that kind of made a shock for uh, Anna and put her in a position of like oh 
what is this? You know, she she never thought of it even. She never really considered it as an like a uh, possibility. And it was her first child also. Um, and then uh, slowly after this period of like, let's say, uh, post, what's it? What's the word? Post-delivery uh, depression? Postpartum? Yeah, maybe that's the word. Um, she uh, started researching. She started like going to... Um, uh organizations theaters creating art with people with down syndrome uh almost turned into an activist uh to know what the hell is this to be able to connect with her child to be able to connect with herself as well you know and um for me that journey was like super inspiring and super uh, uh beautiful to 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 witness and to um reflect on together with anna uh, especially that because she was openly talking about this kind of emotions that she didn't accept her child in the beginning, that kind of also put her in that other, as as in the stereotype of a mother is usually like, you're going to love your child no matter what. And for her case, it was not immediately the case. You know, it wasn't immediately that she was like, oh, I'm in love with my child and I'm happy to have uh, this baby. So uh, she was already also othered. So there was a lot of layers of othering in the film that eventually they reveal themselves through communication, through playing actually, through um, learning from the other and learning about yourself Mm. uh, through this journey. One thing that um, captured me the most about this film, and I think in general about all the work that you make is that you make documentaries, you're a documentary filmmaker, but uh, there was a layer in this film where your your main character is an actress. You filmed her in a way where she you can see her also playing a role or at least see her acting and doing her job and uh, showing her own vulnerability, but in a way that is uh, constructed in a sense. Is it... Is it something you also look for in in the reality or in at least in the way that you capture reality? So I always have that kind of, um, or I had that until now in the film academy, for example, that there's this distinguish between like documentary and fiction. I agree sometimes for some films, it's really important to like, to have the raw film, like to the raw materials, the raw reality, let's say. But then the question comes of, what is reality, you know? What is reality and what is fiction? And for me, when we play with those uh, concepts, we're kind of breaking or learning how to break uh, illusions that we create as, oh, this is reality, this is truth, this is what it is. And to be honest, for me, that has been a life journey, not only in film, not only in cinema, but like coming from where I come from, having like a whole, almost like I traveled in time and in space from Syria to the Netherlands. Um, in, in one year, my life has like went upside down. A lot of the morals or the, let's say, social codes or uh, what is right and wrong, what is truth. This has been kind of like a, like a life journey. Like at some point when you're confronted with a cultural shock, you're confronted with identity crisis, you're confronted with what is real, what is considered all my life, like my whole life, this was um, 
how to say perceived as right and this has this been perceived as wrong and then you come to another place and other context and it's not the case anymore something changes in you then the deeper you go in this meta thinking let's say the more you start perceiving reality in a different way and i feel like that kind of reflects in my films a lot that there is no such thing as just fiction or just documentary we're always playing we're always framing and by framing we're already fictionalizing we're already putting a, a spice of our imagination in the film you know so would you even call yourself a documentary filmmaker depends on the film uh with in between glass and walls i would say so i wanted to go extreme with the like the genre let's say like the observational fly on the wall uh almost not feel that the maker but no i wouldn't call myself a documentary maker i'm a cinema lover it's it's interesting what you say because i can also imagine the way in which stories are framed or reality is framed or fiction is framed is also um a cultural narrative that you learn and and i would say here in the netherlands or at least the the cinema education that you have is very european based and before recording we briefly spoke also about um the syrian history or you you mentioned the syrian new wave which is a, a stream of cinema that i had never encountered before where i looked a couple of things up online and it's uh, such a different language that that i i feel that i need to learn before you know it, it's a, it's almost like a different type of emotional training that you go through it's so true i actually like now that you mentioned language eventually it's also like i think as a filmmaker you're constructing scenes as you construct sentences how you communicate you're communicating and the language you come from, like the language your mother tongue or the language you le- languages you learn or the languages you speak they influence how you see a scene how you construct a scene how you construct like um um like for example if 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 we think about arabic language my my mother tongue there's always the same word if you put it in different place in the sentence it has a different meaning and that's something like we learned also in in the film academy about like Kuleshov effect, like how you can the same image if you put it in different context can bring a different emotion, different uh, meaning. And um, in Arabic, it's something very strong in the language that I feel like with my films sometimes I'm uh, like I really want to play with the edit a lot. To the same image sometimes I want to, like the same uh, shot, let's say, I'm always curious, like, how can we use it differently? How can we bring it to another light? How can we make it uh, have a different, totally different meaning or just add another layer of the meaning or, you know? It's uh, Arabic Hassan montage uh, technique. <laughs> <laughs> We're just playing. I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> curious to know how how where your love for cinema started also do you have like a first memory of of cinema in your life 
Yes. <laughs> ah, tell us. Okay. So um, when I was a child, first I used to write a lot, and uh, I wanted to become a writer. Um, but then one day, my uncle left this uh, video camera at uh, our place, and um, and the house was a mess. So that's when I was like 10, 11, something like this, you know? The house was a mess, my mom was away, and I was like, I want to make a surprise for my mom. So, uh, but the camera was there and I wanted to play with it, you know? So I, I held the camera and I was filming the room, and then I filmed the room when it's a mess, like with a round film, like, like going around. And then um, I turned off the camera and then I made the room, like uh, I, I tied in up the room. And then I... <laughs> I'm so cute. <laughs> oh my God, it's the perfect daughter. No. <laughs> it's Not a anymore. makeover video. <laughs> Maybe I used to be, but uh, that's long gone. <laughs> Anyway, so I would I would film the, the room afterwards immediately when it's tidying up. And I would watch the materials after each other and it's like magic, you know? I would almost make like a tutorial also, like, look how we're gonna turn this room into and then I I click whoop off. I make it really tidy and nice and then I film it like ta-da <laughs> So sweet. So that's how my love for like let's say camera and editing or playing with that form started. But if we talk about like what, what, which films have like what, what, what cinema has brought me, honestly, in Syria, I didn't go to a lot of cinemas. I, like it was, um, I think I can count the times on my fingers, like the times that I went to the theater, you know? But I was so in love with films. I was obsessed. Like it's like kind of a, a way of running away from a reality I wasn't really fitting in. And finding myself in that reality and sometimes flying away with it, you know? What kind of films was it that you uh, you disappeared in? I remember in my teenage years, like, there's this film that I watched and I was like, wow, this is amazing. The Dreamers by Bertolucci. Um, I was mm. like, this is so wrong. And so good, you know, like there's something I'm seeing that I never saw before. It's also about revolution and stuff. And that period in Syria, we were like the, the, the Arab Arabic Spring was starting. So I was really hoping for something to happen in Syria. But if I say that out loud, my mom would be, watch out, you know. I didn't care. I was always like <laughs> sharing like, oh, I hope next, like our turn will come. And then children actually started the revolution in Syria and in, in Daraa. So watching that film in that period was like opening my heart and my, my mind to new possibilities of oh, what, that's so sweet. what a revolution is, what love is, what cinema is also. Like that kind of perversion that cinema makes you... Um, sit down and watch and be like, it's okay, it's not you, it's the film. But then, but maybe it is me. And then 
the 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 this the spiral goes deeper and deeper until it's like almost like an invitation for um knowing yourself and relating to the world relating to to your humanity relating to your alienation re- relating to the uh craziness the world offers sometimes yeah yeah and it can also give you the the stimulants that you need in life at the moment to understand that there is an alternative i think i think the dreamers is a film that a lot of teenagers especially just they can relate to so well because it it also has this sense of romantic recklessness of just doing whatever you want and then in the end you know by by through your recklessness you can you can achieve something for yourself which is as a teenager something you need to hear <laughs> i think to be honest for someone who's like for, if if i talk about my personal experience in that context when you're living under a dictatorship under a lot of social control a lot of taboos are you know like there's a lot of taboos and i'm not that person i'm not like if there's a taboo i'm going to go and poke it until i rust it open and i want to learn i want to know i'm curious you know so that film kind of showed me or or told me like oh it's okay you know you're not alone in your curiosity or like maybe it's considered uh uh to be perverted in certain context but yeah yeah i don't know how to explain it and the, and there is i think also a strong sense in a lot of bertolucci's films of uh, like anti-establishment he's always trying to fight the status quo in some way or another oh that's that's uh it's it's beautiful that bertolucci meant something for you it's uh, it's insane like someone who lives in a totally different context mm-hmm. um being able to reach a teenager in a totally different geographic place uh time and space and everything and yet be able to wake up something in you and connect with you you know there was also uh i remember watching cinema paradiso in that period also there was like a group of friends in syria that were so in love with cinema but we were all watching films that are on the computer you know we were in love with with films and we would call it cinema although we were watching them on the laptop <laughs> like in our <laughs> uh living room um but there was this like um ah it's it's so magical what it did to us we opened so many conversations that we otherwise might not be able to talk about or um there was also the taste of cherry uh mm. by kirostami and um is that also around the time that you decided that you wanted to be a filmmaker yes it was a crazy thought though because there was no such like there was no um film film academy in syria there was no real industry let's say and when there's a lot of censorship also like there's too many layers to it so in that time it was a crazy thought that i had to to become a filmmaker uh when i would say that and everyone would laugh at me but i remember when i was 18 um i wrote this film it's called my mirror and uh i saw this girl from far away and she was like uh, uh studying dance in um in uh in the dance and theater academy and i looked at her and i was like you i want you she's like what what are you talking about I was like 
I'm making a film and I want you to act in it. He's like, okay, let's talk. So we had a coffee afterwards and we talked about the film. And basically I had to make it all by myself because so many in the beginning, but then people ch- uh, jumped in after the shooting and they were, they started to see the potential and, you know, but before that there was like, oh, this is such a, um, it's, it's just a text. It, it's not, cin- it's not like, um, not, not cinematic. There was like, um, this director I talked to and he was like, yeah, this is not, uh, this is not, but it's not a potential film. It's just a, a stream of thoughts mm-hmm. or something. Like he couldn't see the script as a script, you know? Okay, nobody wants to uh, listen to the 18 years old uh, Razan. I'm going to do it <laughs> all by myself. <laughs> so I brought my camera and um, and my friend had a room uh, where it was like nice to film in. I made some like production design in the room and uh, Lujane came and she she just performed beautifully. Like we we basically were playing, you know, like dancing on music. It was more of a dance film than like there was no um dialogue or anything and um and later i went to uh to do a, an editing course and there i met ala who's a director and i told him about the film and when i showed him the materials he was like you we're gonna work on this we're gonna make it happen you know and uh he kind of like took responsibility with their production company and they uh like they made like he made the editing his brother made the music and like s- suddenly everyone was like involved and the film came to life. And um, from that moment, I was like, if it's if you want something, you can make it happen. If you really put your, m- your mind into something, it will happen, you know. And I just uh, never stopped. It, it feels like it's the, the moment when you decided to uh, make film, you also became part of a language that we spoke of earlier of I think Syrian filmmakers who have their own way of telling a story and we spoke about this earlier briefly that the films that in the past couple of years at least here in the Netherlands that have gotten a lot of attention uh, the Syrian documentaries that we show are or that we see are mostly documentaries that are Um, where the war is the main narrative and it's it's also the the one story that I have been told when it comes to Syrian documentary, whereas some of the names which you should repeat, repeat uh, in a second that you have mentioned to me are uh, narratives where the war is is there in a, in a subtle line somewhere in the background that is not something that you can ignore, but it is not the only story that we hear. When there's something like, like as devastating and as <laughs> fucked up, I can't put it any way else, any, any other way. In the first uh, couple of years, it was peaceful demonstrations against a regime that was oppressing people for 40 years, 40 years of oppression, 40 years of separation, of uh, implementing an ideology of one party, uh, one one way of thinking and stealing our <laughs> our country from us, you know. We, we, we didn't own our country. It wasn't our country anymore, you know. So when there's something 
as huge, as bombastic as that, it makes total sense to uh, that this would be like the most, let's say, headlines or the biggest um, um, subject that would reach Western media. But there's so much more, you know? There's so much more to that country, there's so much more to that uh, culture, there's so much more to us as people, but also to cinema there. Syria is a very rich country. Let's start a little bit there because that that brings us to the filmmakers I told you about, like Ammar al-Bayk, Hal Abdullah, and Abu Fakhir, Abu Kaprilian, and Sarah Fattahi, and Saudut Kadan. Like, there's some filmmakers that I'm like, you know, like their way of, of um, making cinema. Of course, there's also a lot of other filmmakers that I respect their work and I find them like important to, to be shown. But uh, the, those filmmakers, they find a way to keep the um, poetry in the film. Because what is it that you would say that connects these people with each other? What is, what is the Syrian new wave? Uh, I feel like I'm, I'm, I have a lot to learn still about Arabic cinema and Syrian cinema. Like, I'm really like, I, I wouldn't, my, my, my knowledge is really humble. Uh, the people I'm telling you about, they're my friends also. They're people, I they became my friends. I actually haven't heard of the term Syrian New Wave before. I didn't know there was a movement of cinema in Syria until not so long ago, you know? So it's something you discovered here in the Netherlands. Yes. Like when, we, when I was in Syria, we were uh, people who, like the, the friends I was... Um, T- telling you about we were just watching films we were like creating some little things but not really making films you know and then uh, one day I hear I Film Museum has this uh, program uh, called the Syrian New Wave and they had uh, I think three or four filmmakers uh, that uh, that showed their work uh and i was like oh wow i want to go see this you know um in that time i was also working as an assistant programmer for itfa so i started also receiving those documentaries from syria watching a lot of materials and films that are coming uh from my country and i was like wow like there's a whole scene that i didn't know about you know that people are really creating films um in the time where I was still busy surviving, you know. Uh, so I went to the cinema and I uh, and I saw uh, Ammar al-Bek and Avo Capriliana and Sarah Fattahi and they had their film screened there. And I was mesmerized. I was mesmerized by the rawness and by the, the like, how to call it, the, you know, when, when, when some films are very, pretentious I th- those films didn't have that you know and I was like whoa I want to know more about those makers I want to uh, dig deeper in this um, new wave can you tell us about a film that you saw there that that had this rawness to it houses without doors uh, Avo Caprilian Avo is a um, uh, Syrian, Ar- Armenian Syrian uh, filmmaker 
And uh, he made this film from his balcony in Aleppo during the war. So the war is definitely there in the film, but it wasn't the main subject, I would say, you know? Um, and the whole film was out of focus. You're watching materials out of focus for like two hours. And the opening scene of the film is this scene from El Topo, from Khodorovsky, where Khodorovsky takes this child, this naked child on his horse and take him in the desert and asks him to put the picture of his mother and bury it. Wait, the opening scene of El Topo was the opening scene of House Houses Without Doors. doors. Okay. Yes. <laughs> 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 and then uh, you go deeper and deeper with Avo from his camera like you're not anymore with Al Topo but it, the film starts with Al Topo it starts with Khodorovsky and it's striking you know like from Khodorovsky going to Aleppo from the window from the uh, sorry the, um, the balcony and everything is out of focus it's so irritating It's like so annoying, so edgy. And you're like, what is this? You know, like you're almost like scratching your tongue. <laughs> is, this <a> new way? <laughs> is, this, <laughs> is this the Syrian new way? <laughs> That's how I felt. <laughs> and then, of course, the maker comes on stage and uh, they talk about the choice, which is basically... A very interesting input that uh, that Avo mentioned in that moment, which was that we are in the middle of the war. You cannot document the war. You're in the middle of it. In order to document something, you need to have a little bit of time and space between uh, that event and what's happening, because otherwise, you, how how are you gonna document it? You know, you're just a witness, let's say. You're just um, sharing what you see. And for him as a maker, he saw everything out of focus. He couldn't grab reality the way um, some documentaries uh, tend to do, you know? Um, the thing about this... Uh, this form of making films or um, those makers also and our conversations together is later and our friendship that grew throughout the years, that there's this kind of um, originality, uniqueness, but also doing what they want and not following to the industry, for example, not being... Um, um, manipulated, let's say, by the industry to make their films. They're just making their films out of urgency, out of love, out of passion for cinema, but also for life, you know? Um, to me, that's something that is definitely missing here for me as a, as a maker in the Netherlands. Like, I play a lot, I'm learning still, I'm in the academy, so I'm still a student also. But I also feel like There's lack of urgency, there's lack of uh, rawness even, that comes because of the lack of urgency. 
One of the films that you recommended to me was uh, So We Live by Rand Abu Fakir. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. So it's a short film where a camera, basically it just turns around for a couple of times, capturing a, a daily life in a living room um, of a family consisting of four people who are you know, going about their lives. And you sense that there is uh, that there is unrest going on outside of the house and how that influences the the conversation or the relation of the people in between in the house but it is so uh everyday life in a sense that you're you're there just being able to turn around and and look in a space for for a couple of minutes which i think it it is the same rawness that you just described where you're not seeing the pain you're just to to an extent seeing one percent of of the pain that could be there but not be understood you see that's what i'm i'm, I'm talking about when i'm when we're we're talking about this kind of out of focus situation this kind of not leaning into the industry let's say a lot of um it's easier to go to the to tell directly um we're making a film about war you know but that's what i find really like uh, a genius about ren that she's never showing you what is but make inviting you basically to think of what could be what could be happening what you know inviting you to actually the state that we have been living throughout those years in uh, during the war that you're not ne you're not always necessarily confronted with uh with the war in a um direct way but you're sensing it you're sensing the 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 trauma around you're feeling it like what i love about the film that she invites you to be with the family and sense and not and imagine what could be and not what is you know it's also super like uh, uh, difficult to make such a film. It's a one take film, you know. Mm -hmm. Technically speaking, like they basically invented that machine that will tour around the room uh, while uh, while the crew is outside of the room, and she worked with non professional actors. And yeah, for me, uh, Ren did something very special in that film. And now she's working on her feature film, so I'm really excited to like see what's gonna come next. Yeah, it was really beautiful. The style of storytelling that you described as filming out of focus, let's say, or um, filming but not actually filming the thing that is there, but just sensing it. Is that something that you do in your work as well? Um, I don't know, maybe. Maybe, I don't know. But if we're talking about in between glass and walls, it was definitely the case. Uh, in between glass and walls was film, was a documentary about this family and about Saira and about the struggle and uh, love and uh, layers that this family is going through with their child and with themselves. Um, but on a layer... It was also about Syria. <laughs> like, it was also about me being a refugee. It was also about my relationship with my mother. 
you know it was all it was it 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 has all those layers let's say that are not necessarily directly poked or showed to to uh in the film but if you analyze it you would get there you know if you watch it with the context not only watching a film but with the context that it comes with it who's the maker why the subject what is the film really about not only what we see you know and i really noticed that this something hap- this 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 way of looking at a film changes when there's subtitles or or where there there's no subtitles in what sense so for example when we screened the film in egypt those layers i'm talking about everybody saw everybody noticed that the film was not only about a mother with a child with down syndrome because there were subtitles because there was another layer of like that's my analogy, analogy of course not only but also because they have the context of an oppressed country la 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 la, la like where it could mean where it could go you know also the language as as we mentioned before that like do we look at it in a direct way in a recht recht aan like this equals this and this equals that or do we see a bit further you know what is the filmmaker communicating here and i noticed in egypt um people i didn't have to mention those layers or i didn't have to not that i do that usually but like um it was really heart opening to see that people could see through it you know while in the netherlands for example no it's a film about a mother with a child with down syndrome you know but then i mean you're a, you're a, you're considered a dutch filmmaker now okay who considers me like this <laughs> <laughs> well well maybe um i mean you're now currently based in amsterdam those things can change of course but you're making films here in the netherlands you're um receiving uh, dutch prizes here for uh Dutch film as a Dutch film director or maybe a Syrian Dutch film director is it um complicated that your Dutch audience perceives your film in a different way or is it maybe you enjoy it how 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 do you feel about that I have to say I don't identify as a Syrian Dutch filmmaker I don't identify as a Syrian filmmaker I don't identif- identify as a Dutch filmmaker I don't identify as a filmmaker even you know <laughs> i'm just a human playing with a form you know what that form brings to people how people perceive it it's up to the people eventually you know what you see in the film is also what you see in yourself or what you perceive how you perceive reality how you perceive art how you perceive film when you make a film it has its own life you know people are going to uh take take what they want to take and see what they want to see hear what they want to hear feel what they want to hear feel what they want to feel so for me at this point of life i'm not um yeah i'm not uh, uh how to call it like um attached to how my film should be perceived or how my film should be uh felt I hope for certain things to to be communicated and to be 
uh, experienced, it's an invitation, you know? And it, those who accept the invitation and enter and they like it, it depends also. Sometimes you invite people to your home and they come and they sit and they do like that's it. They sit down and they're very passive. Sometimes they come and they bring flowers. Sometimes so for me what the film does to people is what they bring to the to the home, you know? Mm. Like I don't know if it's a, it's a, it's so it's beautiful. <laughs> it's so sweet. Yeah, so so it's an invitation and what you want to do with it as a Dutch audience, as an Arabic audience, as a Japanese audience, as whatever, we're all just struggling on this planet and films are just our our window to something. So what is it that you're playing around with, with form at this moment? Oh my God, I'm I'm in a crisis, babe. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about it. So now uh, we're working on the graduation uh, film. In um, on the edge of life, I saw a film. That's the title. Ala hafid al hayat film. It's uh, basically a hybrid film about this girl on the edge of a high building, contemplating life and death and rebirth and suicide. Actually, like um, she's about to jump, but then. Her jump turns into a journey of searching and wandering around to find answers. And in that journey, she meets with three, in my perspective, mythical characters, mythical creatures. <laughs> they are very much a human, but... The encounter is very mythical. The encounter is very um, transcendent. And um, one of them is the doula, who witnessed a lot of births and deaths, uh, people giving birth and people passing away. And um, the oracle, an amazing old woman who... Uh, who's not afraid of death, who embraces life to the fullest and wants to celebrate it even after death, you know? And um, the third character is a performer who is very much uh, playing, I would say, between femininity and masculinity and with transforming into a new form in their performance and in their um, mission in life, let's say. So that's uh, those encounters basically uh, bring her into a different light in her uh, vision of life, basically. I wouldn't say much more because I think it's uh, it's a more of an experience film than a story. Um, I'm really looking forward to share it with everyone and to uh, live this experience in the cinema all together. It sounds so beautiful and it also sounds as if you're making something in full focus. Nothing is out of focus in this film. <laughs> it's so exciting. Um, it will be premiering on the 
5th of July in uh, Keep an Eye Festival. So the 5th of July, the festival starts, but I don't know when exactly it will be premiered, but in that way. In the beginning of July, yes. we will be able to see your film in, uh, in the Eye Film Museum in Amsterdam. And then I think in between Glass and Walls is... We can see it on the MPO. It's on Tweedog. Uh, we're also going to see your film in Keep an Eye. Yes, that's true. <laughs> can we mention this in the podcast or is it like <laughs> a secret? <laughs> I'm not sure, but yes, we'll be able to show both of our films during the festival. <laughs> um, Razan, it was such a pleasure to have you here. And thank you for your open hearts and your beautiful words and your wisdom and your advices and your honesty thank you so much for having me <laughs> thank you for listening to this celebrating cinema series future frames make sure to listen to the rest of the cues conversations please leave a review on whichever platform you listen on and share so more people can discover both us and our future frame makers as always we provide show notes including all films that we mentioned and links to the filmmakers work at celebratingcinema.com This was a Lab 111 production, edited and produced by Elliot Bloom and Yvonne Gissi, uh, with music from Hugo Emerzal and artwork by Studio FFF.